0: welcome to the studio break podcast i'm your host david linaway well if you can believe it we've left the 20s and now arrive at the 30s with our interview with adam parkas Artist in Chicago who uses a number of materials, a number of found objects to create a, a lot of mystery. But before we get started on that, I just want to remind MFA and BFA students who are graduating you can apply to the 2012 competition. Once again, three winners will be chosen for each category and have their own interview featured on Studio Break and be included in a publication later to be released. To find out more information, just go to Studio Break on Facebook, and you'll see under the events calendar all the information that you need. And, of course, if you have to know any MFA or BFA candidates who would be interested, please forward this information on. If this happens to be the first time you're listening to Studio Break Podcast, remember there are plenty of other interviews which you can listen to in the default player at studiobreak.com or you could subscribe to Studio Break under the iTunes Store. Just look under podcasts and search for Studio Break. And with that, I give you Adam Farkas, stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am here with Adam Farkas. How are you this morning?
1: Doing
0: good. I always like to start off just just getting a little bit of a background uh, information on where people grew up and and what those experiences were like. So uh, where where are you from, and what was that like growing up?
2: Oh, um, I'm from uh, Coal City, Illinois. It's a small town. It's like um, a little bit, like half hour south of Joliet, like an hour and a half outside of Chicago. Um, and it's just a small town. It's like 3,000 people, and it's very white and pretty rural and fairly conservative. And uh, that that context. Um, didn't give me a lot of opportunity to study and work with like a lot of things in contemporary art, but there was access to arts in a way that was more um, craft, uh, not in like skill, but in like kitsch kind of craft.
0: And is, so, this, is that something <laughs> that you were kind of into then? As I mean, obviously it's uh, you know you, you run into <laughs> common themes with people talking about you know growing up and being interested in the arts, but were there things that yeah. you were interested in when you were young then? Yeah, I think. um, It was just
2: what I was, like, given because, you know, my parents, like, tried really hard to get me into things, but there wasn't a lot to send me to. So I took, like, a cartooning class Mm -hmm. at junior college. And then, like, the high school art teacher was, like, really invested in, like, going, like, making things for craft shows and going there and selling them for the art club and, like, doing ceramics and making jewelry. And then in Boy Scouts, it was all these, like, um kitschy craft things like stamping leather that were kind of like quasi Native American in like a really complicated way. Uh, So like that was for, and even in junior college it was kind of along those lines, like that was kind of like my first introduction to art and really the only way I knew it, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't any access to like a lot of contemporary art where I was or a lot of other kinds of art. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess that was my experience
0: with it. Well, and, and so did you have any other kind of interests, I guess, then growing up then? Um, just, you know, um, cause I know that one of your, one of your other pieces, um, I think has to deal, uh, somewhat with the scouts. Yeah. Like a text piece later. So was that something then that you kind of, I guess, oh, got yeah. into as a, as a younger age or?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was in it until I was 18, um, and I I liked the part of it that it was about a, like community and scouts and it was that it was community, but that also you got to do some creative things. Um,
0: well, and I'd imagine you'd kind of gain like some kind of appreciation for doing things outside, or yeah, because yes, I'm guessing that you do yeah. more than just those mouse trap or, or mouse. Oh gosh, you know what I'm talking about here? The uh, the little race cars.
2: Oh, uh, the Pinewood Derby cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's about yeah. as far as I got. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make it to like any of the ranks. I just hung out. I see. Um, I see.
2: I uh, I, I guess like my interest in, in art in those was more kind of glancing. Like there was no, not that like a serious approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more about in like I think the thing that I take from scouts now was the invention that's involved in those types of situations. So that you're put into the woods and. You don't have a whole lot of things, and if you want to make like a gateway for your campsite, you have to find a bunch of logs and wood and rope and tie it together and create it. Um, so I think there and like with the craft that I learned from like my parents and things, like it was kind of like like a humble, like utilitarian like use base, so that just like getting by with what you had and figuring out how to do things without having quite the right materials. Right. Um, so when I look at like a scout, those are the things that I think I appreciate the most about them is like having like a limited amount of um, access to materials or supplies or um, I don't know, content,
0: like just things and content ideas, so that you had to deal with what you had. Um, and in a lot of ways, you had to be more creative in most cases. Sure, sure. And and so then you're, I guess you're you're talking a little bit about your like introduction to more of the fine art, the fine arts in terms of junior college and, and things like that, but, yeah. um, it sounded like that, that, that was, uh, maybe more of like a, you know, the regular kind of approach that you might get in terms of, you know, going through your, your basic drawing classes, painting classes, mm-hmm. sculpture classes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, I had that, but my junior college was very traditional. Um, it was, you know, we, we painted still lifes and we made
2: ceramic pots and stuff uh and all art that was shown to us as student works we didn't even really see contemporary art or any like even <laughs> the only time we saw art was in art history class and that was in a different context it was in a context of making or understanding it in a way that was more more about interpretation it was in art history it's about there it was about uh like the textbook information and personal narrative of the artist um but uh so I went to ISU after that, right? That's where we got to know each other in the context I was in at junior college. And then I went there and, uh, all these people have been looking at, you know, the different artwork and having like giving, we're given like theoretical readings based on painting and things. And I hadn't heard of any of these things. So I was like, it kind of like, was like a reality check in a way. Um, and she showed me, she showed us all this like crazy pop art stuff and contemporary artists and um, I think it kind of like really made me question a lot of the things that I was doing. Um, and in particular how, like it kind of was like the beginning of understanding how people interpret the work that you're making. Cause I think before that it was just, I was just making things and they were really like emotional and like guttural and I wasn't really considering too much of like how they're interpreted after they go into the world. Um, which I think would have been a kind of a primary thing to learn, but I hadn't really come into that yet. Um,
0: yeah well, and, and so then did, did you were you already like interested in, in sculptural aspects of, of making things before you came to ISU then, or was that something that you um, you know started getting into more, I guess, when you started?
2: Yeah, I, w- I was. Um, I, I wasn't into sculpture then I think I didn't know it. Um <laughs> so I got there and I thought I was gonna be a painting and drawing major and that's what I graduated with. Um but even when I had my thesis on exhibition and the piece I made for the fellowship that I got that uh, it was clear I think everybody else but me knew that I was not interested in painting. Um that so I was more interested in objects and less in representation. Um and I I something i've been dealing with a lot recently like i'm trying to figure out why it was that i was so stuck in that kind of painting aspect and i think it may have been because my like my undergrad education was more focused in in those uh, mediums like that at the junior college you, there was only ceramics really to speak of for 3d things mm-hmm. and then when i got to isu i took one sculpture course with uh somebody and I just carved a plaster thing and welded a metal box. And I was like, this is not interesting. Right. Um, so then I think where I found use of found objects and the actual material as content. I applied that to like putting it on the wall and putting it onto a panel. Um, so it was a way of dealing with objects in like a more physical way, but still keeping it like kind of safe and in this painting realm that I knew of. And then after, undergrad before grad school things kind of jumped off the wall and onto the floor and that was a really big change like to kind of like start looking at things
0: more um full round I guess is a good way to put it put it. sure sure well before we we kind of move on to I guess more of what what opened up into I guess more of what you do and, and maybe what you wound up doing in terms of graduate work um mm-hmm. could you just talk a little bit about I guess what you were what your BFA show looked like and and maybe some of the ideas that you were kind of addressing, um, then. Okay. Um, yeah, so I met my BFA show. I had, uh, a large installation of journals, a project that I still do. Um, now where I do a four square drawing every day.
2: Um, I think I had like two years maybe of those up on the wall. Um, hung in a grid and then a series of paintings that were, uh, I called, um, Canadian paintings, which were, uh, silk screens and kind of transfers and, um, like Matt medium and transfers and photocopies and just more straightforward paintings of, uh, coat of arms from different provinces and towns in Canada. Um, and then in the main gallery, I had an exit, I had a, a piece for, A fellowship I was awarded that was an installation of found objects on the wall that I was picking up and finding on uh, walks in different towns. And then they were categorized and labeled. And there's a legend at the bottom. Um, So I I think, like, I I was, some of the things that I was invested in, in, in those three kind of groups of work are still relevant to what I'm doing now. And I think it's that it's artwork one in the journals is an everyday practice. And then the thing that I never really leave, um, and investigating the world around me as in like finding the objects that I was picking up on a walk. And then in the other piece with the Canadian coat of arms, um, kind of attending to like myths and kind of, uh, uh, social constructs, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um, and kind of like teasing out what, what those are and, and how those can be like reinterpreted or reviewed. Right, um, right. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and it makes it, you know, it certainly brings up, you know, especially with that, with the uh, aspect of um, the found objects, you know, is something that it seems pretty um, pertinent to what, what you do now. And so, yeah. I mean, it has traveling and, and kind of getting out there and kind of looking at. I guess what's out there outside of just you know the the, the studio space that you might have been given uh, to to work in has it always been something that's been important then for you or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um. I don't know why I, I can I can imagine you caravanning across country in like a really big RV or something. Yeah, uh, I have. Well, I don't know an RV. Maybe <laughs> I do a pickup with like a tent in the back, but. Uh, it's more my style, I guess. But I think, um... I, I have this, like,
2: like really, like, strong romantic notion of, like, traveling. Um, but I like traveling on my train. So, I like, to drive. Um, and it, I think the actual act of traveling is, like, a, a meditative time. Because you don't... You can't really focus on much else, I think. Um, and... For me, it's one of those, like, kind of, like, liminal times where... Um, I feel like i don't have any other pressures there's nothing else i can be doing and i kind of like am allowed to wander in my own mind and then also that it's can correlate with like the actual space as in like um doing like a derive where i'm wandering through um a landscape or a, a neighborhood or a place without any like preconceived notion of where i'm going um kind of just like like whim and fancy and whatever i'm interested in, like drive where i go um I think those are the cases where I'm more receptive and open-minded to, like, finding interesting things or um, exploring, I guess, also is another way of putting it.
0: Sure, sure. And, and so then how did you wind up um, making that transition away from making, you know, I, I guess kind of working just from, from that 2D aspect into, I guess, more of what you're doing, I guess, mm-hmm. now?
2: Was a, in my disappointment, I, I saw in making paintings, making a representation that couldn't—that was a mediation of the actual thing I wanted to deal with. Um, and, I, and I was always interested in in objects, and I was in undergrad even making these boxes and panels with objects glued to them and stuck to them that I was collecting or finding or going to thrift stores and creating a narrative within the surface of the painting or inside the box. Um, and I think. Um, I don't know if I really have a good answer of like why it jumped off the wall and into space and into like a three dimensional
0: form on the ground. Um, yeah, I was looking for that, yeah. that. I was looking for that moment where you just you know you kind of like Back to the Future where you hit hit your head on the toilet. Yeah, know, if, if you can remember. Um, um, I'm sure there'll be a handful of people that know what I'm talking about there, but oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> but um. Well, and it's interesting because you always, I think i think people always want those kinds of stories mm-hmm. and that maybe, you know, the, the mode of me taking on it. You know, sometimes oh. it just doesn't happen like that. I think, um, yeah, um, you know, it, and it makes me curious then, I mean, were, were there just kind of pieces then where you kind of just said, you know, I don't really know about this, but I'm just going to try it out and see what happens?
2: Yeah, and I, you know, another thing I'm thinking about it, I think there was not, it wasn't a direct wall to floor kind of jump, so I, I think... To kind of explain that piece that was on the wall, it was from all those, um, the, um, fellowship piece, it was, uh, front objects on the wall, um, and I was making these other ones where there were panels, and I was collecting objects from, on walks that were all one color and putting them on a panel, and, um, they, they seemed too contained and, like, too perfect, right? They, they didn't seem to ever really represent the actual act of making them, they just became these other collections of color. So, I... One time, kind of on a derive, like wandering time, uh, I was in Walmart in Bloomington, Illinois and uh, was walking around and decided to start doing the same thing. And I was collecting objects off the shelves that were one color and then I put them in my cart and re them somewhere else. Um, this was kind of like maybe like the first time when these walks became something that wasn't 2D but then an installation. Um, some some of these pieces kind of evolved into stuff that I did in grad school that's up on my website right now Um, but I think maybe that was one of the first times it was more ephemeral and more of an object and less of a um, kind of like precise painting in a way
0: and so how did did that open up uh, those avenues of exploration that you know before you maybe I would imagine looked at it as very limiting so I mean was it mm-hmm. just just was it just kind of like playtime and just coming up with, what if I do this? What if I do this?
2: Yep. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, and I, I had a, it was just really play, and that's a really good way of putting it. Like you said, it's uh, having objects in your studio and just letting them be on the floor or on a table and just like moving them around, and putting them next to each other. And um, right after undergrad, I split a studio with Melissa and resky and my studio was just a big mess. It just had just shit everywhere on the, all over the place and. That was so rewarding to be able to have that
0: space to just like pile things around. Um, and I think out of that I kind of built um, a model for how I work with with objects in my studio now. Um, but looking, in my, looking into my studio, it looks exactly the same. It's just <laughs> objects on the floor and there's some on the wall. And there's some kind of like meeting the wall of the floor and they're spread out all over the place. And so, so then when you, did your, when you did your graduate degree, was that something then that was very conscious of, of kind of working through this in a, in a, a way that you hadn't previously then?
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, so some of it, like, like I said, was a little bit of having just the materials around and being invested, like finding an object to be like, that's really cool. I want to work with that, just putting it with other things and seeing what happens. Um, but I think I had a lot of models that I followed. And actually, one of them was Bill um, Conger, right? I mean, you interviewed him not too long ago, um, you know, the people who are working that use found objects, um, say like Martin Creed or, uh, Janine Anthony or Gabriel Roseco is a really big one. So, um, of the things I did in grad school, one of them was to be like really invested in find and research a lot of like art and like look at a lot of art, um, to kind of like in a way, build a palette, ways of working with objects, Um, more than I had just
0: done before, because before it was about organizing by Chroma, and that was about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, and and so, I mean, um, were there any limitations then in terms of materials, or, or, I I don't know, it's interesting because, you know, it just, it makes me think, well, first of all, that just you describing your studio space, I'm guessing that you kind of are a hoarder,
2: a little bit, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty diligent about throwing stuff out that I know isn't working though, too, because it'll just add up forever.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what what is that process like then, in terms of then as as you're kind of working through a piece? I mean, I would imagine then there's maybe ones that you know start to happen really quickly then, or or ones that happen really slowly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely. Definitely both. Because sometimes if it's an investigation of an object. I don't necessarily have the content figured out for what that is gonna be, or what that piece is gonna be. Um, and I kind of have to wait to find the right thing to put it with, or to find the right idea to kind of do something with it, because often just one object by itself isn't, for, in, in my case, going to be enough. Um, the ones that are quicker are the ones that I, I feel like I have, like, here's this idea that I want to work on. Um, and so most of my work happens, at I'll like the conceptual framework first, and then I need to find the materials and the objects Afterward. Um, And those can be a little quicker. And those I'm able to play with a little bit more, and it's a little bit more rewarding because I can find and make, like, this one piece, make some wind chimes and say, like, oh, these wind chimes I'm making aren't working out. I'll just buy one at a thrift store. Right. Um, Yeah, and I think, like, I think, so you're kind of asking, like, in grad school, how do I get through this? And I think in in school, uh, you know, I was at UIC, and it was like every week. I was, like, trying to do something else. It was, like, reinventing myself all the time. So to say, like, I had this... This was <laughs> where I was looking for objects, and this was the content that I, like, held myself within. Like, my first, year, my first year of grad school, that didn't even exist. I was just, like, shooting in the dark everywhere, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, which I felt like is what it was supposed to be.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just interesting, too, because hopefully, you know, when people that aren't familiar with what you do kind of go look over your stuff. It, it's nice to be able to see, um, that transition, especially cause your, mm-hmm. your timeline starts, you know, roughly where we were talking about it looks like with this, with the, with the journal piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, I mean, cause, cause especially like as I'm going up through here, some of the, some of the things that, you know, kind of stick out to me are, are these ideas where, um, or I think you're, you're, you have like something that is much more sculptural, but then also, um, these aspects that you 're kind of asking the viewer to kind of think about things more you know in their head or in that kind of context um, yeah. and so I mean what would be the i guess the differences between the two or at least how i mean is it just a matter then of just coming up with something interesting each time and i 'll give you like for an, for an instance yeah. um, there 's this piece that 's maybe back in two thousand and eight um, for example uh, this uh, the stars I was born under. Yeah. Which has all these, all these looks like balloons and LED lights yeah. and things. So I mean, mm-hmm. um, would that, where would you kind of place that in terms of something that, um, I don't know, because it seems like there's there's pieces that you have that move away from just it, reading mm-hmm. it as a pure sculpture, and then ones that are, you know, kind of asking for more of a participor- participatory aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that one in particular is like really performative because uh, the balloons are on the ceiling and then the helium dies and they fall down and then the, the, there's the balloons that are held up. Like, the, the lights will be on the floor the balloons are, like, in the middle of the room then the balloons fall and they deflate and the lights go out. And it's, like, this long process. Um, but I, I think... Um, that I think what you're getting at here is, like, that more, more than it being, like, a sculptural practice, it's a conceptual... My practice is a conceptual practice. Right. Um... And it often ends in sculpture because that for me is the most direct way to attend to these, to my ideas. Um, it isn't always though. Um, and I think to say like, it's, it's a thing that you have to, that the viewer has to kind of finish them in, in your head. Like that's, that's my goal. Like that's my plan. Um, and this piece in particular, the, uh, stars I was born under, um, was from a group of work that I made my uh, second year in grad school. as um, was a two-year program uh, where I was dealing with um, identity, um, my identity in particular, and that piece. Right when it's when the balloons are inflated and they're new and they're and they're up on the ceiling and the lights are looking. You have to look up to the ceiling. And you see the lights. Uh, they represent they're an order of uh, the stars that were above me when I was born. Um, so that's then talking about, like, astrology and, like, what the stars are born under are supposed to mean and how that, like, is supposed to dictate your life, um, in some kind of, like, mythological, like, unknown, no, like, powers of the universe kind of way. Um, and then the piece falls and the lights go out, so it's at once kind of, like, about birth and also about death. So it's like a life cycle piece, um... And I would say that, that that one and a few of the other ones that are after that, um, are within this personal narrative, um, identity kind of group of work that I made. And I would say that, like, going through kind of, like, I guess, like, groups of work that there are, like, themes that happen. There might be, like, five or six pieces that I make, um, that will fit within one thing and then it will kind of evolve into something else. Um so I still I still say that like identity is part of that work but
0: it's not explicitly the, the main content um, now well and it, it's interesting because and and again I I, I, I kind of get what you're saying just because you know just looking at the the works that you have there's a whole kind of slew and a whole variety of you know how how those things wind up coming into being um, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think one of the other things um, that I was interested too, and kind of maybe following up with that is that you also have, it seems like there's also an interest in terms of specific dates or specific periods of time in the work. Um, And then also, you know, again, and I'm probably throwing way too many things at you right now, but, 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 you know, in terms of looking at it, one of the things that I thought was really interesting to me is that I, and I was holding off on this a little bit, but it seemed to me like you're, you're kind of asking, to some degrees what what the expectations are that we have of things just looking at them you know because it seems like a lot of a lot of things that you 're presenting um, come across as as wanting to be you know maybe something that you would glance over and it 's really kind of yeah. through that investigation that you kind of see there 's some other kind of context um, mm-hmm. you know and it might be through something like a year you know and i 'm thinking specifically of uh, i 'm looking at a piece from two thousand and nine um, uh, I found the first porn I watched under the TV in, in my living, in the living room, yeah. uh, from nine, 1996. And, um, you know, it, it's just interesting because you, you have that, that aspect of, of looking at something that, that first at first glance kind of looks like a VCR or, you know, an actual tape, but it's made yeah. out of cardboard. Yeah. Um, so it makes me wonder about that idea of expectation. Is is that something that's really, I don't know, interesting to you, how we, how we have an expectation for something? So I'll, I'll do the
2: expectation one first, and then, then maybe the time one, and I'll try to tie them together. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think like that, that. Like one of the major goals for a lot of the work that I make is to um, do the most with, the, like, or the most obvious thing in the most surprising way, uh, so that like the, the tape uh, in particular. Um, seems like a really straightforward thing, but the material and what it's made out of and that had to kind of make it up from memory, uh, is the part of it that kind of makes it a little bit more, I guess, like magical or a little bit more, um, uh, surprising. And I think that those, I like to make, have those things be, uh, really slight in their, their, uh, I don't know, um, Just like the like slight minor function and the way that 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 happens, Um, I like to equate it to like writing a poem. That a poem is uh, a short amount of text and information that has a really large effect. Um, And I think that a lot of the work that try to do tries to follow that same type of rule that um, it's a really small gesture that has a really large effect. Um, So I, I think that. The other thing about time, uh, for that for that piece in particular, I'm I, I date it say in the title say 1996 because that was when I had watched that porn. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, and that was one of the last ones I made that were like explicitly about identity and about like how um, I was constructed as a person or like the things that conditioned me to become the person that I am, and I was like. You know, it'd be really obvious to, to talk about, um, a, in a way, I think the star, the star piece, the stars is born under is kind of obvious. It's like, everybody, um, can relate to that. I think, um, the porn tape in particular is a little bit more idiosyncratic and a little bit more interesting because it isn't the thing that you normally think of as being something to that, uh, help to
0: construct who a person is, who I am. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, huh. intre- it's interesting, you know, um, cause, cause it seems like too, then there's not, re- there's not always then a, um, like I guess a set route for, for what you wind up coming up with,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And, and again, I'm thinking of some uh, pieces that are kind of similar in that period of time, because like, you know, I might look at that as that kind of relating more to that idea of, um, you know, that, that, that personal narrative in, in one way, but then, um, you know, you kind of set up different different in, different instances of this. And I guess I'm looking at pieces like this, uh, my universe and yours, for example. Yeah. You know, where, where again, it, I, kind of, I think it kind of works in that idea of keeping something that's kind of quiet, but, you know, something that I think kind of creates a, a sense of mystery. Is, is that something that's important to them in terms of mm-hmm. you want people to be able to approach these kind of simple things like they're, like, what's the, what's the thing? What are they missing? You know? I think, uh, in in some cases, like, I I can see
2: something in an object that I think other people won't, um, or kind of find some poetry in an object that I want to heighten. And that's when adding, for that light bulb, like adding confetti and dust and water inside of it is what kind of, like, makes it something more magical, uh, and I kind of lost what I was going to say, but I think, um, more, more than that, it's, it's, uh, I, don't know. I think, it, I think it's about kind of u- using objects in a way that they wouldn't normally be used.
0: One of the things that's interesting then is to kind of go through and, and kind of look around and, and see how different some of these other, these other projects are and, and, um, and I guess in that sense, it's 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 interesting because you can kind of jump through it at really any time, and I think it kind of makes makes sense in terms of fitting in with where we're, the interests and the things that you're talking about. But one of the things that I came across that that also kind of struck me um, um, was this piece, uh, Aurora Borealis, which is looks like it's composed of a, a compass and a cardboard box and. Um, I guess, a turntable and magnets. So could you, you yeah. talk a little bit about this 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 process and, and I guess, this project? Yeah. Uh,
2: so it, it, has a, it has a turntable and magnets, and it's actually, those are in the box. So then the turntable turns, and there's magnets on the top of it, and then as it passes the compass, the compass kind of freaks out and goes all different directions. Um, and th- this was one, right, that I was, like, invested in, like I'm interested in outer space and atmospheric things and kind of like the magic that happens in them and like that they, they can kind of symbolize all these like uh, faith-based and religious-based or um, just magical things. Um, and one of them is that when Aurora Borealis happens, which is this really beautiful display of light, um, it also supposedly causes compasses to kind of freak out because it messes with the magnetic polarity of the, the Earth a little bit. Um, so I was like, oh, that, that's such like a great, pathetic way to talk about a beautiful thing. Um, so I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> so, um, the cardboard box is a way for me to hide, like, the magnets to make the compass do this thing. So really, the, the, the I see the whole thing is the piece, but the important part is the compass moving in erratic ways. Um, and I think... What is even, like we talked about before about kind of like, um, that in my work I China it had like a surprising aspect to it or something where you you see an object doing something or we used in a way that you wouldn't normally see or wouldn't expect it to be doing. So, um, that this compass is then representing this really beautiful thing that's happening in a way that, uh you wouldn't really approach it or think of it. Um, Like, I think there's as much beauty and surprise and magic in that, maybe even more than in uh, the actual white display in the sky.
0: Right. Well, and and so then, uh, and I'm just kind of curious, and and, and also, as I was saying off the record, too, is I think one of the things that's really great about, you know, having a conversation like this is that this is the kind of conversation, at least I think, that I don't, I don't have when I go to an opening, you know, is what I was saying. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, if somebody's opening, I don't particularly walk up to them and say, I want you to talk all about these things, you know, because it's kind of, well, probably kind of rude, first of all. But yeah, then, some
2: people will like, think it's uh, nice.
0: So. <laughs> well, and it, it makes me just kind of curious then. I mean, are there things that then become very, um, I don't know, like like are there, pro- are there things that you don't wind up doing hardly any, Alteration to, and then things that you wind up doing a lot to. And my que- my question, particularly, is this example: um, you have this green green river bottle, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you know, coming up to it, normally I would I would I, and I honestly can't think of the color of Green River. So, to me, it looks like that would be it. But I'm I'm guessing yeah. based on the content that that's not true. <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: is it, see, I I think that piece. It's funny, but a little complicated, because if you don't know that type of pop, then you might not understand what's going on. I actually gave that to Sean Ballerin for an exhibition in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and like nobody got it. Mm-hmm. They were like, we don't understand why he peed in this bottle. Um, but Green River is really that acid green. It's really green rain. Um, and it's just kind of like a funny pun on Chicago, because it's a Chicago pop, and it's about the, the river... It, the, the name of the pop is named after the river, the Chicago river. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's full, it's right. For, for those of you, those people who aren't like looking at it, like it's, it's, um, a, a little bit of the blue stuff from the tablets that you put in a toilet and urine urine that's yellow. So it is this green mixture inside of the, inside of the bottle. Um, just as like the Chicago River is actually really disgusting and nasty, um, it's a, it's a really silly, jokey piece. You know, that that was maybe a little less serious than some of the other
0: ones. Sure. Well, and it, well, yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what that's what I think is so interesting is because you can, you know, there really are a nice a nice diversity in terms of then what you're what you're able to kind of I guess glean from something, you know. Um, and I mean, just again, maybe just for maybe a, a something that's. Unrelated example is this uh, piece, "The Earth Below." For for the Earth Below, I um, it, it, that was a, that was like a material investigation. I had a mirror, and I wanted to play with this extension
2: of um, space. Uh, and I was in Pilsen, living in Pilsen. And I just walked around and photographed that mirror in different places on different in different puddles, really. Um, that was. Uh, the best one of the whole group. And that one seemed to symbolize everything I wanted to say in all the other photos. Uh, and I think I gave that title, um, as a way to kind of mark the beginning of my investigation, um, into, uh, faith and belief. Um, that still really continues my work to, to today. to now, I think, um, and you know it, it's kind of it's kind of like a a little bit of a pun, but the earth below, right? So we, the earth is below what is below heaven, and then there's this reflection of the
0: sky, this double reflection of the sky in, in the photograph. Um, so that one actually was is just a, a print um, and not an installation, right? Um, yeah. Well, and and again, it seems like then there's there's this interesting thing that happens where you can. Um, Really, kind of have different themes, you know, that, that yes. you're dealing with in a number of different ways. Um, and for some yeah. reason, that, like one of the other pieces that I that I was going to say that I thought looked looked pretty interesting is this um, this piece. We don't go to bed, but we don't sleep too hard, or we go to bed, but yeah. we don't sleep too hard. Um, if, yeah. Yeah. Is that something that that you're intending to kind of play up this idea of, I guess, um, anxiety at all, or? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's interesting um, too because I, I, when I made a note about it, like I, I, I was like, "How old is that? How old is that handheld radio?" Because I want again, I kind of wanted to look at it as something like that—that that was, you know, dated. You know, yeah, yeah. And that was definitely my intent. And I have an old flashlight and an old used candle
2: in a box of matches. that only has a couple matches in it. Um, uh, so, so that's that's a piece that I think. Is in a lot of things that I'm working on right now, and a lot of things that were in the uh, treehouse exhibition that I had in Arlington Heights a couple weeks ago. um, It has to deal with fear. So I think a lot of the work I've been working on for like the past three or four years has dealt with um, kind of like fear and anxiety um, and how I deal with that. Um, So the, the religious stuff is one way of approaching kind of like finding kind of peace or order to the world, um, which is still part of a lot of this work, but I also think, um, that wasn't enough, that I was working through it and I, I could kind of still feel this anxiety, I was trying to, like, exercise something or attend to something that I'm, like, dealing with in my life. Um, like I said before, a lot of my work was personally driven, uh, from personal experience. Um, so in, in particular, I've kind of, like, um focused these fear, like, or figured out what the fear, like, one of the major ones is, and it's, um, there's two that'll keep me up at night. Uh, one of them is global warming, um, (laughs) a real rational fear, and the other one is zombies, which is, right, a irrational, like, fictional fear. Uh, but they both cause the same effect, where I can't sleep, and I fixate on them, and it's really intense. Uh, and zombies, like, I can get rid of and say that's fiction, but global warming is a real thing. Um, and kind of, like, what will happen to our world and to Chicago and to our lives in 50 years. Um, that Chicago, right, is planning uh, for climate change, and they're no longer planting the state tree in the city anymore, because it won't be able to grow here in a few years. Um it's a white oak. It just will not like the climate will not still sustain that type of tree. So they're planting trees that grow in southern states. Um, and like that's a really frightening idea that, that to me, that these things are having direct effect in our world in a way that's unreversible or seems unreversible and it seems really dire. Um, so that piece in particular, we go to bed, but we don't sleep too hard, is of these objects that you would have in your basement. Um, in case of like uh, a disaster, like a tornado or a hurricane or earthquake, and those kind of things, and the power goes out, and you go downstairs, and you have these things,
0: and these are the objects that are just waiting for a disaster to happen. Right. But they only get they only get used when something horrible happens.
2: So I'm, I'm addressing the idea of like zombies, and in some cases, directly zombies, but uh, global warming and fear, uh, because I think all of these come from a fear of death, and I think that's something that's been investigated forever. It will always be, I think, something that people are going to be able to latch on to. Um, it is uh, um, something people, everybody can relate to. Uh, and my way of approaching it through global warming is just one way of having that conversation. Um, I also do it through healthcare and other pieces. So um, it's kind of
0: like, like zooming back. That's like the bigger picture is like that I make work that addresses death. Right, right. Um, that could go all the way back to the balloon piece, right? The I sure. was born under that,
2: my birth and my death all in one piece.
0: But one of the things that I that I was curious about was just this this other piece called um, "Initiative Games" because I kind of think it it kind of maybe fits in with um, that aspect of not necessarily just fear, but um, I don't know, trying to put people in a, an initial or like some kind of context for some of these disaster kind of scenarios. So, could you yeah. could you talk a little bit about that piece?
2: yeah um, I mean I, th- I mean you're, you're like hitting it on the head like it's it, it is about preparing for those kind of disasters and initiative games uh, in this, this book is that's the title of that book um, are group building games that you play at like church camp or at Scouts um, but this particular page on one side it has um, three that are a little bit more banal but on the on the right side um, it has two that are like really intense. Um, one of them is um, that you have a group of people, they play like they're in a bomb, that, they're, that um, you, the hometown USA is being bombed, um, and there's only one bomb pe- shelter, and it only holds six people. There's, in the group, more than six people. So each person takes on a role, say like a doctor, or an artist, or an architect, something like that, and then everyone has to argue and say, who gets saved? Um, and it, even in the example that it gives, it says like, okay, so there's a doctor who won't go into, uh, the shelter unless his wife comes with, who's dying of cancer. And that's, I mean, it's, it's such kind of like a brutal proposition to have to consider. Um, and then under location, it says anywhere. <laughs> so it could just be anywhere in the world. Right, <laughs> And then, and, then the other, and then, you know, I mean, that one kind of recalls a little bit like a uh, Cold War scenario. Right. Of fears. But then I have a hard time not thinking about uh, in like, what was it, like 2003 or four. I might, this is bad that I'm not remembering this, but that when there was the anthrax scare. Right, um, right. And how that could hit anybody. And everybody was buying duct tape and plastic to like protect themselves. Um, and then, oops, excuse me, the other one is building a raft and you have to put people on a raft with some rope and they have to find logs and lash a raft together and get off the island. And that's kind of like, um, you know, like some reality TV show or something, uh, lost. Right. right. Something like that. Um, and and those two both kind of like, I think, like they're about like group building and dealing with real life scenario, but then like it's, like, those two examples are so such, like, dire examples. They're not, like, you have to lash a pole together to get it to reach 10 feet tall. Right. It's, it's like, how, how do you how do you decide who lives and who dies?
0: One of the other things um, that I always kind of like to ask people, too, are, are, you know, just ways that you kind of find that you help, I guess, contribute or, or encourage other people to kind of find areas to kind of be creative. Is that something that you... Um, I guess partake in just I guess in a in a weekly basis is finding finding ways to encourage other other people to kind of you know have these have these strange views of uh making making things and, and kind of wanting to find the mystery in, in these things. Yeah. Like
2: in my work in particular or
0: just in, in general? Oh just in general, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that that that's my goal of of my work, and especially the ones that I put into like the public realm that are more um, installations or ephemeral sculptures, Uh, interventions, I call them sometimes. But I, you know, like I'm I'm a teacher and I teach at a university and I'm at a high school and an elementary school and I work at the MCA giving tours to school groups. And teaching has really, I think, fortified and like helped me to understand what my practice is about. because I, I, I feel like I'm attending to the same ideas when I'm teaching. And it's that I want people to investigate the world and see it in new ways and maybe see the complications that happen, like, um, and the, the things that, that are kind of, like, pulled over our eyes that people wouldn't notice and, like, just the myths behind a lot of the um, cultural construct that exists in our world. Um, yeah. yeah. So a, a lot of my assignments and projects that I work with students with are, just
0: about that sure sure yeah. well and and so one of the other things that i always like to ask people are are what are the what are the i guess things that pull you away from your studio and and kind of working out these things do you have any any particular interests hobbies uh hmm. you know candle making um, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> let me
2: think i've been really busy this year so i haven't had a, hell, a whole lot of those. <laughs> um. Enjoy sports. Um, like I would play soccer if I had time in the facility to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it's, it's a really hard one because I actually feel like I don't leave my studio very often. Um, even I'm not in my studio, but I'm like I'm a, a, out in the world. I'm not. I'm always kind of like I, I would like to think that most of the time I'm like still considering what can be done in the space that I'm in and I'm considering things in my studio while I'm away from it. Right. I feel like I, in a lot of ways I really don't, I don't leave it. And it's not like a burden in a way. It's just that it's really integrated into my life. Um, it's part of how I understand the world. So I have a hard time separating Artistic practice, practice from just like everyday life, which is why having a studio in my apartment and having an everyday practice and uh, teaching and always being invested in the arts is not, it doesn't weigh down on me at all. It's I love it and just want more. So.
0: Well, and so if, if you weren't talking to me right now and you were working on something or, or working through something and say you had an accompany, accompaniment in the background, uh, is there any kind of music or. <laughs> Things that you like to listen to while you're working?
2: Yeah. Uh, it depends on my mood. Um, I listen to a lot of, like, more abstract kind of sound, art, music, stuff. Like, uh, Steve Roden, he's an artist in California, and uh, Rolf Julius, and um, different, po- like, poetry readings sometimes, different poets reading. Um, you know, if I'm listening to music, it could be anything. It could be metal or hip-hop or... Uh, Bluegrass, it's NPR maybe sometimes, uh,
0: so nice, diverse, diverse range there. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Sometimes I load up my MP three player, just let it play random and that's, that's strange and interesting too.
0: (laughs) Well, and again, it's, it's springtime and you know, there, there still are some things, um, you know, going on worth seeing. Are there any exhibitions or anything that you've seen recently that, um, I don't know that that struck your fancy, things that mm-hmm. maybe maybe kind of inspired you or.
2: Yeah, I. Uh, well, just last night I went to a bunch. There was the MFA opening at Saic, um, which had some interesting things, and then there was a uh, a gallery for hundred actually at UIC. There's a uh, an exhibition up now about color, and actually I feel really bad. My friend curated it, and I don't have the title of it in front of me. Right. So I don't remember what it is. Um, but it has like John Baldessari in it, and Judy Ledgerwood, and um, Ali Bailey, and a litany of like really great artists. Um, but I work at the MCA too, so um, I've been looking at the nineteen eighties uh, exhibition a lot and giving tours on that. And the uh, Rashid Johnson exhibition um, has some complications, but it's it's nice. Oh, you know what? You know what I'll say. The, like I have a a membership theater institute. And I passively go, like, once a week. So I kind of just get to, like, look at whatever I want to and just, like, get pulled to whatever, you know, interests me that day. I spend a lot of time looking at the site. Twombly sculptures um, in the modern way at the Art Institute. Um, so I would say that that's an interesting thing to go check out, that they're very, very strange and, like, removed and cold, but yet, like, incredibly, like, magical and mysterious in some way. Um, nice, nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I have before I get you out of here is, um, are there are there anything, any things that we have to look forward to in, in terms of exhibitions that you have coming up? Yeah.
2: I, I have uh, a three-person exhibition at Ads Donna Gallery uh, in Chicago on May 27th with uh, Mike Morris and Allison Trumblow. Uh... I think it's like 6 to 9. It's on my site. I don't have it up at the moment. Um, and then uh, I'm in kind of like a really strange uh, <laughs> exhibition called uh, Graveyard at a space called Terraformer um, across the street from the Co Prosperity Sphere. Cause it doesn't really have an address uh, in Bridgeport. Um, next Sunday, uh, the first Sunday in May. Um, where there'll be this an empty lot next to an apartment that this guy has curated artists who make tombstones in the empty lot. So <laughs> they'll be legally installed, and you can come by and look at the tombstones. Uh, I'll have this sculpture, found out sculpture in mind. Um, so that's uh, the first weekend, the first Sunday in May. I believe it's the 6th. Oh, so cool. You have to look up our co-prosperity sphere. The other one uh, adds Donna is... Um, it's 4,223 West Lake Street in Chicago.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully the FBI isn't listening because um, yeah. uh, they might shut down the, the illegal exhibition. Yeah. Uh, but, for, but for some reason, I think we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to be on the radar. Um. Yeah. I, well, yeah. <laughs> it
2: would be nice if you were. That would be good.
0: <laughs> so, well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time, and, uh, yeah, you know, no it's problem. been a pleasure.
2: It was great to
0: talk to you. Thanks again to Adam Farkas for joining us today. Once again, you can go to adamfarkas.com to find out more about him and his work, get updates about upcoming exhibitions, so please check that out. Our music for today's podcast was found at freemusicarchive.org, where they have thousands of different songs that you can download for free. Our intro song, This One, Tell Me How, and Lee Rosevere, Aurora Borealis. If you happen to like what you hear, just remember there's plenty of other interviews at studiobreak.com. Please, please go to Facebook and like us. If you happen to enjoy these interviews, just remember you can go to the iTunes store, search for Studio Break under podcasts, and you can subscribe there. In some other recent exhibition news, just remember that John Reddington's show opened up last week at the Dublin Arts Center. Former podcast participant Kevin Curry had a new public work installed, so congratulations to Kevin. As for myself, I have some work included in the Rockford Midwestern, opening up at the Rockford Art Museum May 19th, along with Studio Break participant Tim Roby. And last but not least, I am diligently working away, getting ready for my solo show opening up June 16th at the Peoria Art Guild. I hope a lot of you can come out for that. Of course, you can check out my work also at davidlinaway.com. And lastly, if you enjoy listening to Studio Break, stand up and be heard. You can say hello and leave us some comments. Let us know what you liked at studiobreak.com or check us out at Studio Break on Facebook. That's all I got for you, folks. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you real soon.